Hey, this is David Pakman inviting you to enjoy a classic episode of The David Pakman Show today. We will return with new shows before you know it. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Hey guys, I'm starting to think maybe the Supreme Court was a good enough reason to vote for Hillary Clinton. After all, they've done it. Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been confirmed by the Senate and sworn in at a very trashy event last night at the White House. Amy Coney Barrett is in and it is over. Republicans during Barack Obama's presidency saying we don't confirm Supreme Court justices in the last year of a presidency. And with seven last night, just shy of a week or just beyond one week to go before a presidential election, confirming and swearing in a Supreme Court justice. And Amy Coney Barrett will now be on the court to rule over any possible election related matters. And there very well may be some which we will be talking about this week. So not coming as an acute surprise in the sense that we determined weeks ago there was no way for Democrats to prevent this from happening. And indeed, they did not prevent this from happening. And she is now on the court. They won. Got to hand it to him. Mitch McConnell gleeful on Fox News last night. And this is how it works. Sadly, they stopped Barack Obama's nominee Merrick Garland because they controlled the Senate. They stopped it with garbage arguments, which they immediately threw into the trash. And now under Donald Trump, because they control the Senate, Trump has confirmed three Supreme Court justices and we have a six to three majority. Uh, against the better judgment of doctors everywhere. The Trump administration put together a White House event to swear in Amy Coney Barrett last night. Melania Trump, who still had coronavirus symptoms, serious enough for her to miss attending a Trump rally just days ago, uh, showing up with no mask at this event right near a whole bunch of people. Here is Trump making no sense whatsoever in a completely nonsensical run on sentence. We are fulfilling the duty that passes to each new generation to sustain the national traditions and virtues that make possible everything we have achieved before that we will do tomorrow because of our just unintelligible and then eventually the swearing in itself taking place with Clarence Thomas happening naturally without masks or social distancing. Clarence Thomas at one point whispering into the ear of Amy Coney Barrett in close proximity as Donald Trump looks on. Here is Mitch McConnell, the Republican Senate majority leader, straight up saying Amy Coney Barrett will be a political asset. Wait, but 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 I thought that these justices simply interpreted the law and applied it to no, no, no. She's going to be a political asset, says Mitch McConnell voting for Biden. Well, if you recall, we had a Supreme Court fight a month before the election in 2018 and we actually gained seats. Uh, I think this uh, uh, nominee will be a political asset uh, for our candidates around the country, not a liability, but an asset. 
That's a Supreme Court justice he's talking about as a political asset, not an interpreter of the law, not a mere conduit through which the Constitution and case law flow and spit out like a machine some kind of decision. No, no, they're not even hiding it, a political asset. And then here is Lindsey Graham, who is in a very tough race in South Carolina, saying Amy Coney Barrett will help us to keep our seats. We're in a fight for our life. Help me help all of us keep our seats so we can do this four more years. LindsayGraham.com. Lindsey Graham, Republican senator from South Carolina, in a really tough situation all of a sudden against the Democratic challenger Jamie Harrison, says Amy Coney Barrett might help him to keep his seat. They aren't even pretending. Now, we have to really understand a lot of different things here. There were leftists who missed the boat in 2016. Okay. They said it's not whoever. Trump, Hillary, it's all the same. Supreme Court, who cares? It's not important. Well, we not we learned that that was the wrong approach. We now have three lunatics on the Supreme Court. And you could say Hillary Clinton wouldn't have put a real progressive on the court, uh, but she wasn't going to put on religious nut ideologues and cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs jurists. Uh, she wouldn't have done it. Okay, we would be in. We wouldn't be talking about is abortion in danger, is gay marriage in danger, is religious liberty as it is actually supposed to exist in danger? Because remember, their their view of religious liberty is the freedom of religion to impose my religion on others. That's not freedom of religion. It is now all in danger. It wouldn't be had Hillary Clinton won. Well, we now have the 2020 election. the 2020 election, unfortunately, is now going to be subject to this court thanks to Donald Trump putting three people on it. So we have a six to three majority for the right. We all have to understand. I mean, listen, I, at no point am I going to gaslight you. Just replacing Trump with Biden doesn't fix the court. It's too late. Okay. We blew it. We blew it. This is the court until another justice leaves. So now, We need to remove Trump and vote Biden merely to have a chance to move the court from six, three to five, four. And then if we get it to five, four to reverse it to a five, four left majority or maybe expand the court. Now, we'll be talking more about court expansion. I I will tell you, I am more in favor today of expanding the court than I have ever been. There are still political risks. We're going to talk about it. I don't think Joe Biden's going to do it unless he really really is pushed. Uh, So this is a loss for us. They want it. We have to deal with it as it is, not as we would like it to be. We have seven days until we can replace Trump with Biden. That will prevent Trump from putting anyone else on the court for four years. So that is a win, although it doesn't resolve the situation. And then lastly, the cherry on top, Mitch McConnell has adjourned the Senate until November 9th, putting in a Supreme Court justice in direct contravention to the principles he said apply during the last year of a, of a, of a presidential term in 2016 and then immediately adjourning the Senate, meaning no coronavirus stimulus even possible before the election. They won't even reconvene until November 9th. Unbelievable. This is the guy. This is the guy that's running the Senate. We've got to end it, guys. It, it must be stopped. 
Uh, I have breaking news about authoritarian repression of the media for you. The president, Donald Trump, said yesterday it should be illegal for the news media to cover and report on the coronavirus pandemic when there's an election about to happen. Now, as you may know, we have more than 230,000 deaths in the U.S. from coronavirus. We have one of the highest per capita case rates in the world. We have one of the highest per capita death rates in the world. We have 4% of the population and 20% of the deaths. We are potentially heading into the worst period for the U.S. in history from the standpoint of public health. And it is imperative that every American understand what's going on, rising cases, rising deaths, what the stakes are and what we must do. And Trump wants it to be illegal for news media to report on a pandemic during a pandemic because he's trying to hide it so he can get himself another four years in the Oval Office because he has failed miserably in dealing with the virus. Trump tweeting, quote, we have made tremendous progress with the China virus, but the fake news refuses to talk about it this close to the election. Covid, covid, covid is being used by them in total coordination in order to change our great early election numbers should be an election law violation. Trump then complaining that CNN is talking about covid during one of his three rallies yesterday. Take a look. MacArthur, getting tired of the pandemic. You turn on CNN, that's all they cover. COVID, COVID, pandemic, COVID, COVID, COVID. You know why they're trying to talk everybody out of voting? People aren't buying it, CNN, you dumb bastards. They're not buying it. That's all they talk about. How delusional is this? Is this evil? Is it sociopathic? Is it merely dictatorial? This is happening in the middle of the United States, hitting new single day records for cases over the weekend. Eighty one thousand cases on Friday, seventy nine thousand cases on Saturday records. We're in covid hell in the United States. And Trump is saying it should be illegal for the news media to pick stories. I thought this guy was against regulation. I thought this guy was about letting everybody do what they want to do and stopping oppressive government intervention. It should be illegal to report on the pandemic. And it's also even funnier because to the extent any of this is funny, it should be against election law. Trump says the media should be bound by election law in what they can cover. They're not even running for anything. Election law typically applies to candidates, to campaigns and to donors. Textbook fascism. This is a lunatic wannabe dictator. Now, news about a hundred year pandemic should be against the law. Trump says Biden should be in jail, but he won't tell us what crimes were committed. He says he will lock up the Bidens. Trump has been putting pressure on William Barr to investigate the Bidens. Trump won't commit to a peaceful transfer of power, but I don't think it will work anyway in the sense of trying to suppress the fact that 230,000, realistically 310,000, if you actually look at excess mortality, hundreds of thousands of people, needless to say, have died on his watch trying to suppress it. I don't think will make people forget about it. 
And I don't think it will make people forgive Donald Trump, not the same rational people anyway, although there's plenty of outrageous people around as well. But the most important thing to debunk here is the idea that covid had to be bad for politicians. It's been horrible for the world as far as tragedy and death and suffering. But politically, it's only bad if you mishandle it. New Zealand's president was reelected in a landslide because she successfully kept the pandemic under control. She also happens to be a normal person who's not completely out of touch with reality. So Trump could be sailing to reelection if he had handled this correctly. Serious question to conservatives. Do you support Trump's statement that it should be against the law for the news to report on a pandemic because there's an election close by? Seems indefensible. And yet, I'm continuously surprised by what the right is willing to support. Should the media be banned from discussing covid close to an election? The majority of Trumpists I'm seeing online. Now, these are just the ones willing to comment online. There could be a vast silent majority that is against this. But what I'm seeing online from Trumpists is uh, it was taken out of context. Um, it uh, Trump only said it as a joke. Uh, the media should be banned from covering it because they lie about it. If they told the truth, they should be allowed to cover it. But because the fake news media is lying about the pandemic, they shouldn't be allowed to cover it. I want to hear from Trumpists. Do you agree with this? Should it be illegal to cover coronavirus? Uh, I'm on Twitter at D Pacman. Let me know. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. For a limited time, our sponsor, Pure VPN, is offering you a huge 86% discount on a subscription, which comes out to only about $1.50 per month. Pure VPN makes you anonymous when you're browsing online, and you can trust them because they're the only VPN in the industry with an always on third party audit to verify that your internet activity is not being logged. By hiding your IP address, PureVPN keeps you safe from hackers and prevents you from being spied on by your internet service provider, social media companies, and even government surveillance. It also lets you watch shows and movies that aren't available in your country. PureVPN is super fast. You can use it on all of your devices. And I can tell you firsthand, the app is really easy to use. And they have 6,500 servers across the world, which is more than any other VPN in the industry. Everyone should be using a VPN when connecting to the internet. And now is the perfect time to start because Pure VPN is giving you an 86% discount on a subscription, which comes out to only about $1.50 per month. Go to davidpackman.com slash pure VPN. That's davidpackman.com slash P U R E VPN. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. Remember that our program is mostly funded by members who sign up at joinpackman.com. Who can be a member? You can be a member. Grab a membership at joinpackman.com. Uh, so there's been this trending story that was really fueled by Donald Trump that after last week's second and final presidential debate, millions and millions of people started Googling, how can I change my vote? If I've already sent in my vote, if I voted early, can I change my vote? The idea being 
People saw Trump's powerful alpha performance on Thursday and said, oh, no, I voted for Biden, but I must change my vote to Trump. Can I do it? Unfortunately, the backstory doesn't actually match reality. A lot of those searches, the vast majority actually started the day that the 60 Minutes interview aired Sunday, which was not a good interview for Donald Trump. But Trump seemed to think that there was an explosion of voters looking to change their votes from Biden to Trump after voting. So Donald Trump tweeted, quote, strongly trending Google since immediately after the second debate is can I change my vote? This refers changing it to me. The answer in most states is yes. Go do it. Most important election of your life. Now, first of all, I don't think this is people looking to change their votes already cast from Biden to Trump. Um, again, the timing is not what Trump says. It was not after the second debate. It was overwhelmingly the 60 minutes interview that seems to have triggered people to say, can I change my vote now? You could you could venture a guess. Oh, it's people wanting to change from Biden to Trump or vice versa. As more and more people vote early by sheer math, you would imagine that more people are going to be searching for that without necessarily wanting to do it. But let, let's put that aside. It is not true that you simply can change your vote. There are some states where you can. But overwhelmingly, you cannot in Florida, for example, where Donald Trump now votes. If you cast your absentee ballot and it's been received, processed and counted, you can't change your vote. You just can't do it. Uh, there are some states like Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, New York, Pennsylvania, Mississippi, Connecticut. They do allow alteration of votes after early voting. That's six states. So first of all, Trump is against spreading voting disinformation on Twitter. Secondly, and maybe most importantly, it is not clear that this is people trying to change their votes to Trump. It started trending after Trump's ridiculous interview on 60 Minutes, where he walked out after getting reasonable, real questions. And Trump looked terrible. Trump thinks it's in his favor because The New York Post published a story suggesting, you know, Biden's laptop, uh, we, you know, what, whatever. Uh, most voters didn't see that story. That story is not getting a lot of attention because it's ridiculous and has nothing to do with Joe Biden. So this is a very scared man who might get reelected. He actually might get reelected. Whatever the truth is about people wanting to change votes from Biden to Trump, from Trump to Biden. Yes, Trump is scared. Yes, Trump is desperate. But unless we ensure he doesn't, he could get himself reelected. He's on the ropes. He's trying anything he can. Now he's on vote changing after going from one topic to another to another. The Trumpists are pretending that this is not disturbing behavior, but he is spreading more voting disinformation on Twitter in uh, the overwhelming number of states. You cannot change your vote. Trump is acting like you can. And the really cynical, but maybe maybe it's not overly it's cynical, but it's not overly cynical. Maybe there's this idea that the reason Trump is doing this is he is just trying to create chaos and tons of people who try to change their votes, who maybe will come away on November 3rd, believing their vote counted for the wrong person because they tried, but it wasn't clear. Did they change it? Did they not? 
The cynic would look at this and say this isn't just Trump wildly spreading desperate disinformation on Twitter. This is Trump specifically crafting stories that voters will tell on November 3rd to justify lawsuits, to justify courts getting involved. Sorry, I hit my microphone there to justify any way possible to steal the election from Joe Biden. That's what a cynic would say. But I don't know that it's overly cynical, given what we've seen. Let's continue our discussion of the desperation from the Trump campaign. The president is now so desperate that he's holding three rallies per day in the middle of a hundred year pandemic. Yesterday, holding rallies in Allentown, Pennsylvania, Littitz, Pennsylvania. That sounds weird, but I guess I, maybe it's Lititz. I'm not I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. And Martinsburg, Pennsylvania, all three of them in Pennsylvania that I can tell you with full pronunciation certainty. I'm not going to go through all of these rallies with you. I'm going to go through some elements. They are completely dystopian, authoritarian nightmares, the likes of which we actually have never seen before in American history. We've seen stuff like this in other parts of the world, particularly in the 20th century, but we've not seen this type of stuff in America. I'm going to go through just a few highlights to give you an overall sense of how much of an emergency it is to remove this man. Starting in Allentown, Pennsylvania, yesterday morning, Donald Trump, who has continued to say foreign leaders want Biden to win because Trump is so tough on them. Now Trump is just making up conversations, claiming a foreign leader said Joe Biden would sleep all the time if he were president. Take a listen to this. Sir elected. They will delay the vaccine, delay therapies, prolong the pandemic, close your schools. Your schools have to open and shut down our country. Guy doesn't have a clue. This guy doesn't have a clue. Have you seen what this? I mean, he, we can't play with the country. The only thing I can tell you for sure, President Xi from China, President Putin from Russia, Kim Jong Un, North Korea, and I could name 40 others. They're sharp as attack. They don't want to deal with Sleepy Joe. One of them said to me, one of the leaders said, well, I hope you win because we don't want to deal with somebody that sleeps all the time. Do you believe that? <laughs> no, he just announced the lid. Well, no, you know, now, now that you mention it, I don't believe that that conversation happened. I don't think it did. This is really interesting. Trump did the thing yesterday. He used to do this back in 2016. He pulled out a piece of paper out of his jacket pocket where he reads polling numbers and Trump is trying to push back on polls that show him losing the election. But he's doing it by bragging about his leads in places like Utah and West Virginia. I'll tell you why this is interesting in a moment. In Montana, we're so far up, they don't even they shouldn't even have the election. Likewise, in Utah, so far up, we're plus 12, plus 15. And in West Virginia, with 20 up, 20 points up. These are just came out. They came out today. If you are a Republican incumbent president and you're bragging about polling in Utah and West Virginia, you are in trouble. You are in trouble if in order to have good numbers, you are even mentioning Utah and Virginia, two states that because they are so red are irrelevant to the electoral college process in practice. They're not irrelevant. They're irrelevant because their results are not in question. The election doesn't hinge on them. And Trump is saying, I'm doing great in Utah. I'm doing great in West Virginia. Very 
troubling sign. Trump continuing his complete rage against wind power. He seems to believe that if there's wind power, if it's not windy out, you can't watch TV. No air conditioning in the summer, no heat during the winter and no electricity during peak hours. Let's watch President Trump on television. I'm sorry, we won't be able to do it. The wind isn't blowing today, darling. We won't be. And part of the tragedy is that the crowd seems to also think that's how wind power works. If it isn't windy, you can't watch TV. If it's not windy, you can't toast your bread in that moment. Complete misunderstanding, deliberate ignorance. We may never know. Then Trump moving on from Allentown, Pennsylvania to Latitz, Pennsylvania. Trump struggling to say extremist. I guess this is extremist and Trump just struggling to speak by rally number two. I'm keeping the terrorist, jihadist and violent extremists, those terrible extremists, the hell out of our country, if that's okay. Trump fans then starting a lock him up chant towards Hunter Biden, lock up Hillary, lock up Joe Biden, lock up the Bidens, lock up Hunter Biden. The state is supposed to ask us and they weren't going to. But we told him, I'm sorry, where's Hunter? Where is Hunter? He's, he's making he's, he's trying to make a deal with a foreign country to pay him 10 million. Where's Hunter? Remember the T-shirt? Where's Hunter? I was right. Thank you very much for that. Where's Hunter? This can only happen in Pennsylvania, right? I was here for school. The party claiming to be for the Constitution, for law and order, for due process, regularly demanding the imprisonment without due process of random people who haven't even been accused of crimes. Law and order, right? Constitutional conservatives. Trump then going back to the vaccine, saying any sec momentarily we're going to have it. He might maybe he'll even announce it at a rally today ends the pandemic, which is ending with or without. And we have the vaccines. They're going to be very nobody would have them. It would be years before you had them. What I did with FDA and FDA has been terrific, but it was called a slightly speedier process. OK, and totally safe. We will have the vaccine like momentarily and we're all set to distribute it before the end of the year, maybe substantially before, but it's going good. But we are going to get ourselves back to normal life. I said normal life where we were seven months ago. So as we have heard from Trump many times, we were expecting a vaccine approval early October, mid October, late October before the election. We were expecting people, according to Trump, to start getting the vaccine before the election. Not happening, not happening. And uh, by any reasonable sense from our actual public health experts, if we are lucky, if things go, I don't want to say luck, but if things go perfectly, we hopefully will have some people starting to get vaccinated by the end of this year. Then on from Latitz, Pennsylvania to Martinsburg, Pennsylvania, Trump criticizing Barack Obama for having a small crowd today. Obama didn't do any event today, which was yesterday. Doesn't matter. It's all fiction here. It's really something, right? Did you see the crowd that President Obama had today? Nobody. Nobody showed up. I thought they'd have a little crowd. Didn't quite have a crowd like this. No, nobody showed up. They said he's going to start campaigning. I said, who? Barack Hussein Obama. I said, oh, 
I said, is that good or bad? Because, you know, he campaigned harder than Hillary the last time. How did that work out? It didn't work out. And then while bashing Joe Biden, this is funny. Trump gets confused and says Biden is going to give you the biggest tax cut in the history of the country. Just I, I may, maybe a moment of clarity or just Trump confused about what he wants to say. The largest tax cut in history. This is the craziest campaign, right? So all my life I watch politicians running. They always say, we are going to cut your taxes, right? We are going to cut your taxes. I got a guy running now who's sort of shot. He goes, we will raise your taxes. I said, what the hell? I said, did he just say that? Yeah, he's going to give you the biggest tax cut in the history of our country. Yeah, I got confused watching it live. But Biden's plan, I mean, the, the funny thing is, Biden's plan actually is a tax cut for the bottom 95 percent of Americans and a tax hike for the top five percent of income earners. Uh, unclear what Trump meant to say. Is Trump confused? Did he accidentally tell the truth? You never know with this guy. And then Donald Trump again, incoherent on Mexico paying for the wall, which they did, but don't have to do because it's built, but they paid for it. Who knows what the hell he's talking about? And Mexico is paying for the wall, by the way, in case you had any question. That's the other thing. So now they know it's built. Then they said, but Mexico will not be paying. For I said, no, no, Mexico is paying for the wall. OK, but they'll figure that out very soon. They'll confiscate again, a total lie. The truth is there is no wall. I think they've added about 10 miles as part of a wall repair program. There is no wall. Trump promised the wall across the entire border by the end of his first term. There's no wall there. OK. And Mexico has paid for nothing. There's no toll on people coming into the United States from n none of it is true. And then just as a sort of mildly xenophobic uh, icing on the cake, Trump now regularly at rallies referring to the former president as Barack Hussein Obama. This is a common trope. Hussein, 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 Hussein sounds like an Arab, right? This is the idea of Trump repeating it. And part of that was that Barack Hussein Obama allowed me to have 142. That's become a new staple of these rallies in the last couple of weeks. Authoritarian nightmare. Three more rallies today. We may cover some of them live. Barack Obama will also be rallying for Joe Biden this week, and I plan to cover those. And we will have more coverage of this authoritarian nightmare on the show's Instagram page. If you are on Instagram, follow the show at David Pakman show and follow me at David Pakman. The David Pakman show at David If you love feeding your intellectual curiosity, but you're always struggling to find the time, check out one of my all time favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist lets you consume an entire book on your way home from work. They take thousands of popular nonfiction books, condense each one into text or audio that you can get through in just 15 minutes and you get all of the important core ideas and information from that book. It's perfect if you don't have enough time to do all the reading you want to do or if you just want to sample a book before you buy the entire thing. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. 
and it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library, but you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B L I N K I S T dot com slash Pacman. Welcome back to the David Pacman Show. Today, we're going to be speaking to William Irvine, who's a professor of philosophy at Wright State University and author of many books, including the one I most recently read, A Guide to the Good Life, The Ancient Art of Stoic Joy. Uh, so uh, great to have you on. I really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure to be here. So I think um, I think that this uh, stoicism is a particularly relevant topic right now for all those following American politics and thinking about uh, the, the next few weeks. But before we we so obviously link these ideas to what's going on, maybe we can speak a little generally about the ideas of stoicism and, and some of the most notable purveyors of these ideas that you write about, including Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and, and others. Maybe first you can disabuse some uh, of our audience about what stoicism is not, which is maybe uh, an indifference to what is going on in the world, an indifference to tragedy an indifference to, to the struggles of life. That's not what it is, as you write about in the book. What's the right thought process for thinking about stoicism? Yeah, the strange thing is the Stoics turn out to have been cheerful uh, individuals, and you wouldn't uh, think that. Uh, so I like to distinguish between lowercase s Stoics, and these are people who are simply uh, gloomy and glum, and they just their idea of what you do in life is you just stand there and withstand whatever life throws at you. And that's not the Stoics, uh, uppercase S Stoics at all. And these were individuals. You mentioned some of the names, people like Seneca, people like, like Epictetus, people like Marcus Aurelius, who uh, realized life is tough. And so you have to have a strategy for dealing with a life that you know is going to be tough. And there, they were not anti-emotion. They were anti-negative emotions. And they thought quite sensibly that what you should do in your life is you should try to minimize the number of negative emotions you experience. And these are emotions like anger, anxiety, envy, and grief. But they had absolutely nothing against positive emotions. And in fact, they thought we should be embracing positive emotions. Uh, positive emotions are different than pleasures, okay? So it's an important distinction. But positive emotions like feelings of delight and even feelings of joy, that's what we should be in pursuit of. And, and these guys were the um, preeminent psychologists of their time. And they hit upon some psychological strategies that work uh, wonderfully well. Um, and so what I've done in my books is I've tried to share those strategies with a, a broader public. So I think that this will a, a lot of this is just the timing of this conversation is is beautifully timed 
because I think many of the things you talk about in the book, including negative visualization and understanding the dichotomy or really the trichotomy of, of control, these things are so relevant for anybody who is worried about the election results that that we are waiting for. Can you talk a little bit about maybe to start with the idea of negative visualization and it, its sort of relevance to day to day life? Yeah, negative visualization is a simple technique. And what you do is you pause in your daily business. Uh, it only takes a few seconds to do. And you think about something that's uh, important to you, something that plays a very significant role in your life. And it could be your job. It could be your spouse or your significant other. It could be your children. And now take a moment uh, to imagine that that thing disappeared from your uh, life. And there are lots of ways that can happen. You know, people, many people have recently lost a job uh, uh, or split up with their significant others. Imagine that happening. And now the point is you don't dwell on that because that would be a recipe for a miserable existence. What you do instead is you allow yourself to have a few seconds in which you really think about that. Then go on with your daily business. And it's it's almost a magical effect because next time you encounter the person that you imagined uh, losing or you imagine being separated from, it'll be a different experience because you will no longer be taking that person for granted. And that's the problem with human existence. You know, whatever we're whatever we we have and work so hard to get once we've got it, we take it for granted. And we think, oh, well, this is fine. But, you know, if only I had some more, you know, a different uh, significant other, a different job, I would finally be happy. So we're, we put ourselves on this treadmill. And and what a sad way to spend the one life that you have to live. Yes. So, sometimes the, the concept of hedonic adaptation is used for this sort of way in which we as humans very quickly um, establish the status quo as a new baseline, even if it's better, for example, or it could be worse, but even if it's better than 99% of our prior existence on the planet, it very quickly becomes the new baseline from which our existence is, is sort of judged. Am I wrong to think that the idea of negative visualization may be a sort of antidote to that adaptation that takes place? Yeah, it's it's like it's like an ointment, you know, when, when you start taking your life for uh, for granted, uh, it's an ointment that you can apply as needed. And uh, and it is uh, interesting, you know, Stoics and they aren't alone in doing this, but a lot of the philosophies of the ancient world advised you to uh, not only be a spectator of the lives of other people, which is what we kind of instinctively do, but be a spectator of your own life. Watch uh, yourself watch what motivates you, watch the way you react to the events of the day, and then really think about what you're doing. Because, uh, you know, you can look around you and you can see people who work so hard to get something and they finally get it and they're really, really happy for an hour <laughs> or a day or maybe a week. And then the new wears off and they're right back where they were before. You know, it's, it's like a, a, a poor, a poor, a poor guy chasing mirages across the desert, you know, off there in the distance, there's water. And if only I can crawl to it, I will at last have water to drink it gets there and it, it evaporates. It's gone. Right. And then just has to do that again. 
you've got, like I say, one life to live. And, you know, what we do is we look around and we see how other people are living their lives. And we assume somebody has done their homework. Somebody somewhere has figured this out. So I'll just copy them. But throughout uh, the millennia, there have been people who have stood back and looked at this and said, you know, nobody's done their homework. And by, re by doing what, what other people are doing in this case, you're only going to get yourself in trouble. At some kind of superficial level that this might sound very anti sort of consumerist, the idea that there's no product one can buy that is going to sort of give them whatever degree of happiness they might imagine they, they would achieve by by buying a certain product. But when I read the book, I got more the impression that um, it's it's not necessarily that, but it's more about making decisions consciously and thoughtfully and and not just writing off where we get and and maintaining that appreciation. Can you comment about that a little bit? I mean, this is it doesn't sound necessarily like an anti-capitalist or anti-consumer culture ideology, but it's more about recognizing and understanding how we are sort of wired in a sense to uh, very quickly adjust to whatever it is that we have. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you if you believe in evolution I, and I do, our ancestors uh, back in Africa who were perfectly happy with what they had, they didn't survive. Uh, they didn't spread their their genes. The ones that survived were the ones that were constantly thinking about things that had happened, trying to learn from them so they didn't make the mistakes over, trying to think about what was going to happen. You know, this idea, this this dream of living in the present moment, our ancestors on the savannas of Africa who did that got eaten by a lion, you know, and that was the that was the end of uh, of their story. So um, uh, there is this thing that I refer to as the gap theory of happiness, and that is that there's a gap between what you have and what you want. And then so one way to close that gap and gain happiness is by working hard to get the thing that you want. But there's another way. And that is you reverse the gap the other way. You learn to want the things you already have. Because uh, and there there will be a lot of people who who reject this claim on the face of it. You have so much in your life, and whatever it is you think you absolutely need to have, look at your life and look at how your ancestors would have looked uh, at your life. They would have regarded you as dreaming, as living in a dream world. You have all of this stuff. What? You have a device in your pocket that can not only talk to somebody in China, but you can see them talking while you do it. That's just crazy. And yet here people have it and people now, you know, when they don't have the latest model cell phone, they feel, ah, well, you know, my life is, 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 is ruined. So take what you already have, learn to appreciate it, learn to be thankful for the existence you find yourself living, learn to embrace your life. And um, now if you look back at the uh, at the Stoics, they didn't simply go into dormant mode where they said, OK, I'm fine with that. They they turned out to be some very uh, productive and ambitious people. Um, Seneca, uh, for instance, besides being a philosopher, was an advisor to an emperor, was the first century um, uh, A.D. equivalent of a billionaire and was one of the greatest playwrights of his time. So he was no slouch. But, you know, the idea of waking up in the morning and just feeling wonderful that you get to be having the life that you're having. And a large part of that is your own attitude. And your own attitude can be is very much in your control. 
So let that's a perfect segue. So the um, it, one of the things that uh, I see with my audience that is causing significant anxiety as we get closer to this election and my audience being a left leaning audience is overwhelmingly folks who want to uh, see Donald Trump go is uh, have I done enough? I have anxiety about the results. And if we introduce the idea of a dichotomy of control where we would separate things into that which we can control and that which we cannot control, it sort of falls short when it comes to something like an election, which is where the idea of the trichotomy of control is, is so useful. Those things over which we have some control. And I think in the book you talk about a tennis match where ultimately yeah. You don't really have unilateral control of the results, but certainly you can have control over your practice plan. You can have control over your attitude and expectations going into the match, et cetera. And for me, yeah. that's been a perfect analogy to the election where, well, we're all voters. And as voters, we do have some control and we control our one vote. We also can decide whether to phone bank or not. And if so, in which states. But ultimately, with 130 or 135 million expected votes, no one of us can control the results. So can you can you give us a sense of a healthy way to sort of apply this to something like a national election with a, a not infinite but very large number of moving parts, many of which over we don't have control? Yeah, this is the most complicated election of my lifetime. So much going on, so much unpredictability. And I'm ready to be surprised. That's my plan going into it. And you know, the last uh, election in uh, 2016, uh, I'm an extreme early riser and I was up at about two in the morning and I turned on the TV expecting to see Hillary's face there beaming. And it was Donald Trump instead. And I thought, whoa. So I'm ready for, for absolutely anything. The dichotomy of control. There are things you can control and things you can't. And if you spend your time worrying about things you can't control, you're going to be a very anxious and unhappy individual. So think about things you can control and do those to the best of your ability. So in the case of a tennis match, you can control how hard you train. You can control whether you party the night before or whether you try to get a good night's sleep. You can control your strategy. Uh, can you control how hard the other person practices? And, and no, you can't. So that does that isn't even part of your equation. And by the way, we come into the notion here of success and failures. So for a stoic, what counts as success? Success is to put it into a, a, a motto. Success is doing what you could with what you had where you were. If you did those things, you have succeeded because what else could you do? Right. You, you, you did what you uh, you could and with the election. Stoics would have a two-stage plan. Number one is don't worry about things you have no control over. And number two is be emotionally prepared for surprises. So the Stoics were, were big on what I call Stoic training, where you go out of your way to do things that are difficult just because they're hard to do. Do things where there's a significant chance of failure, not catastrophic failure, but failure in some sense of the word. How come? Just so you can get used to failing. You know, successful people are typically people who have experienced a lot of failure. What makes them special is when they failed, they didn't break, they bounced. 
They took the failure. They learned from the failure. They went on to do new, better failures than they had before and finally popped out uh, at the end of the tunnel, what's conventionally called a successful person. So with this, prepare yourself for just about anything emotionally and just say, don't know where it's going, uh, but wherever it, it goes, what I will do is I will do what I can with what I've got where I am. We will pause our conversation with Professor of Philosophy William Irvine there. The full conversation will be available on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the David Pakman show. Very soon we will go to a quick break on the podcast, radio pro program and TV show and be, be back very, very soon. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. The David Pakman Show depends on your support, and the easiest way is through membership, which includes the world-famous bonus show, as well as commercial-free audio and video streams of the show just for members. Sign up today at joinpacman.com. Coupon code saves you 40%. Vote soon 18. The David Pakman Show at davidpacman.com. I've told you guys before that Jared Kushner, Donald Trump's son-in-law, is truly a sinister force in American politics and in the world. And uh, Jared's back, you know, after he did that one coronavirus press briefing where he said things like, you know, the stockpile is our stockpile. It's not a stockpile for the states. They pulled him out of public view because he's been a disaster. Now he's back. Jared Kushner reappearing on Fox News yesterday. He was asked about the black American community and he brought us a beautiful message of hope and unity, which was, hey, listen, Trump's policies have been the right policies, but we can't make black people more success successful than they want to be. We can only help them so much. We can't make them want to be successful if they don't want to be successful. I guess that this was oh, how Jared Kushner thought he was defending Trump's policy towards black Americans and other minority groups. I don't know, but take a look at this embarrassing fiasco. I think we've seen in a lot of the, 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 the black community, which is mostly Democrat, is that uh, President Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems that they're complaining about. But he can't want them to be successful more than they want to be successful. And what you're seeing throughout the country now is a groundswell of support in the black community because they're realizing that all the different bad things that the media and the Democrats have said about President Trump uh, are not true. And so they're seeing that he's actually uh, delivered. He's put up results and a lot of people want to get on board to start working with President Trump because they know that you know, unlike most politicians who have been in Washington for decades who talk and say all the right things, uh, President Trump may not always say the right things, but he does the right things. Is this the right message days before the election? Like maybe the calculation is by saying this eight days before an election, as he did yesterday, he'll bring in more of the racist vote than the number of, of other folks that will leave because of the, uh, the, the message. I don't know. And of course, Jared Kushner's personal lack of self-awareness about wanting to be successful being what matters. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, had businesses handed to him by his dad. His dad essentially paid his way into Harvard. It is, you know, the height of lack of self-awareness and hypocrisy. It's just another instance, really, of the same projection we've been seeing for years with this family. Major transition into the second term. It's not our fault. 
They're just not working hard enough. We can only help them succeed so much. The guy was born on third base and he's telling actual batters how to hit a triple. That's the best analogy I can think of for this. And honestly, when people say this stuff out loud, how does he walk around without getting punched in the face? Is it just 24 seven security that keeps the guy from getting slapped? And by the way, this idea of a groundswell of support for Donald Trump from the black community, it's also a farce. The latest IBD poll has Trump polling 8% with black voters. Another poll has Trump polling 7% with black voters. There is no groundswell of black support for Donald Trump. Now, many Republicans will say, oh, David, the reason black voters aren't supporting Trump is they've been tricked by the Democratic Party into essentially signing a blank check for them and voting for Democrats no matter what, which is really a way of saying black people aren't actually evaluating candidates. They've been tricked, which I guess means they're not that smart. They've been tricked into voting for the Democratic Party. Now, the truth is black folks and Hispanic folks and women and the college educated and on and on all these groups that are supporting Joe Biden. They're doing it because they know what Trump offers and they don't want it. That's really the reason black voters and others aren't supporting Trump. But back to Jared Kushner and the idea that Trump can only help help black people so much they have to help themselves. Is this just a play for the racist vote? Have they calculated? Let's bring in more racist whites. We'll lose some black voters if Jared says this, but we'll bring in more racist whites who are overwhelmingly. There's more racist whites than black people watching Fox News uh, in the morning. Let's put let's let's be let's be clear. Is it a calculation or am I reading too much into it? There's no calculation. It's just Jared being Jared and that's it. As if you needed another reason to remove Trump, we might be only a week out from never having to hear from Jared Kushner again, which for me is a really great incentive to vote to remove Donald Trump, which I've already done. This really is a reminder that the right has no policy on broad based economic stimulus for the lower and middle class, regardless of race, we can say the left's policy isn't good enough. We can say the Democratic Party isn't left enough on economic policy, but at least the left thinks you need policy. Jared and Republicans have this idea. You can't help people if they won't help themselves, if they won't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps <clears throat> to revitalize a completely ridiculous idea. Why can't poor people just decide to stop being poor? Jared Kushner's frustrated that poor people keep deciding to be poor. That's what this comes down to. It's a malignancy and we've got to remove it. Speaking, by the way, of malignancies, this is just hilarious. We've talked for years about the debt and deficit being a political football. Both Democrats and Republicans throw the football back and forth to some degree. Republicans do it more and Republicans claim to be about low deficits, cutting the debt when a Democratic president is in the White House. But when all of a sudden a Republican president is in, they don't talk about it. George W. Bush exploding the debt, Donald Trump exploding the debt. You get a Democrat in the White House all of a sudden. Oh, infrastructure, covid stimulus. If Biden wins, you, you know, you will hear it. Uh, how, how are we going to afford that? Well, deranged and depraved Republican Senator Ted Cruz is taking it a step further. Instead of saying the debt doesn't matter, 
He's instead saying Trump never ran on reducing the deficit or the debt. Now, of course, Trump not only ran on it, Trump hilariously promised to completely eliminate the national debt by running huge surpluses during his first term. He's done the opposite. He's run record deficits. You have to see the video to believe it. Listen to the audio. Here is Ted Cruz trying to pull this on Jonathan Swan from a forthcoming interview on Axios on HBO. Jonathan Swan instantly fact checking him. And uh, Ted Cruz just has to come up with some other lie. He said, you know, the deficit's the worst thing in the world when Barack Obama's president. But Donald Trump came in and, you know, we're not so worried about that anymore. He's, he's right, isn't he? So, look, I'm very worried about the debt. And yeah. I'm worried about it under Trump. Uh, now, to be fair, Trump didn't campaign on cutting the debt. He did. He said he was going to eliminate the national debt in eight years. He also said something, what is it, I'm the king of debt uh, in 2016. Right. So we actually have to look into this in detail because this is not merely Ted Cruz being a buffoon. It is Ted Cruz being a buffoon. But this is part of a bigger uh, sort of transition that many Republicans are making in case Joe Biden were to win. What many Republicans are doing is starting to pretend to care about the deficit again so that if Joe Biden wins and does a coronavirus stimulus, they can go back to we can't afford this. The debt, the debt, the debt. Now, of course, Trump did run on paying off the national debt. He said repeatedly that his tax plan was going to be so good and create so much growth that we'd run a surplus and pay off the debt within four or five years of him becoming president. Here's Trump telling Hannity he could do it in five years or maybe even in less time. We can balance the budget very quickly. But you think in five years? I think over a five year period and I don't know, maybe I could even surprise you. There's a ton of these clips. I won't bore you with them. But then Ted Cruz, when he's called out, says, well, you know, Trump did also say he's the king of debt. This is idiocy. This is idiocy. When Trump said he's the king of debt, he wasn't bragging about I will increase the deficit. I'm the king of debt as far as growing the national debt is concerned. What Trump was saying was I'm the king of debt. I know how to renegotiate the debt. I know how to reduce it or restructure it, which he also hasn't done as president. How pathetic is Ted Cruz? As far as the facts go to just get them in here, we are putting a chart up for our video audience of the total federal public debt over time, which, as you can see, even aside from the massive spike at the time of coronavirus, the debt was trending up faster during Donald Trump than during Barack Obama's presidency. And everything Ted Cruz says about it makes no sense. So this is the same tired game that's been played for decades. Democrat comes in, slows down deficit growth, sometimes like Bill Clinton even generates a surplus. Then Republicans come in and do something insane to blow it up, like George W. Bush invading a country that didn't even attack us. Democrat comes back in. Barack Obama slows down deficit growth every time he wants to spend. Republicans say, how are we going to pay for it? Trump runs on eliminating the debt, blows it up, and in comes Ted Cruz saying, well, Trump never really ran on it. So, yes, both sides play the debt deficit games, but Republicans are the ones actually increasing the deficit like no other. And Ted Cruz really needs to go as a reminder. Now, sadly, he's not on the ballot right now. He just won reelection in 2018. He'll be back on the ballot in 2024. His time will come. We can hope we can hope we have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two. David P got a very interesting voicemail 
about the Supreme Court and the upcoming election. Hi, David. This is John Hickson, member in good standing from Highbridge. By the way, I love member in good standing. You could be a member in bad standing. I like that we have a clarification here. Member in good standing. Here's what I predict happens on election night. Since Trump has, you know, inspired all of his voters to vote on election day, right. and walk in on election night, he wins in the walk in voting count. Yes. And then the next day, he has the Supreme Court suspend the count of all the mail in ballots because it will be injurious to his reelection campaign. And they will cite Bush v. Gore as precedent. That's interesting. The idea of citing Bush v. Gore as president for hijinks at the court. I, I've not actually heard that specifically before, but certainly this is the general fear that the Supreme Court now with the six to three majority, thanks to last night's swearing in of Amy Coney Barrett, uh, will be used to stop the counting of mail in ballots, particularly in key states. Pennsylvania is the one that comes to mind because they don't even start counting mail in ballots until the polls close on Election Day. Uh, that th this is exactly the nightmare scenario we've been talking about for sure. And uh, is Joe Biden ready with lawyers to prevent it? I don't know. Eric Garcetti told me he is. Uh, I don't know. We will talk today on the bonus show about the idea of expanding the court and what is implicit there. A water on the moon. NASA's Sophia uh, uh, craft uh, has discovered water on the moon. And Kazakhstan now likes the latest Borat movie. Very, very interesting stuff on today's bonus show. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com.